Colonial Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living. I'm Donnie Johnson and I was recently baptized on Sunday, August 29th. Hi, my name is Donnie. Um, I did my baptism a few days ago. Uh, I've experienced a lot of loss and pain this year, a lot of guilt, shame, suffering, and regret. Uh, my mom and dad both passed away just five months apart uh, at very young ages. I'm currently going through a divorce and now a very messy custody battle. This past month I also experienced an ultimate betrayal that has left me completely stunned. I've had some difficult times and I've been down some dark paths. I went to church in the past but I wasn't fully committed. It, it's kind of hard to explain but I was just there, I was drinking a coffee, I was listening to the music and I left. I wasn't, I wasn't fully committed and I wasn't living that life. On April 15th, I surrendered my life to the Lord. I knew I could no longer do this alone. I knew I needed Him today and every day. I needed to let go and to let God do the work that only He can do behind the scenes. But I'm still working on trusting His plan for me. I felt called to get baptized once I saw the advertising for it. Even though at first it was very scary and uncomfortable, uh, I just knew that was going to be my first step to show my true commitment. It was ironic, the location where it took place, like I said, because it's seven years ago, that's where I was getting married, and then now here I'm sharing this testimony and doing a baptism. So, so once I saw the advertising for the baptism coming up, I immediately thought, wow, that would be a good opportunity for me to show that I am not just going to church on Sunday and then leaving. It was a good opportunity to show that this is my true commitment going forward. And I literally wanted in that moment to put the past behind me and start new in, in, a, in a lot of different ways. You know, with everything that I've gone through this year uh, and in recent months, I just kind of wanted to put that to rest and start new. Oh, love seeing those testimonies. That's been so good. We've enjoyed those so much. And uh, we started a new series last week called Repurposed, and we're going to continue that journey together. By the way, good morning. Oh, man, it's almost 11, it's almost 12 o'clock. Let's do better than that. Ready? Good morning. Oh, is it still nice outside? It was gorgeous this morning. It's supposed to be gorgeous until this evening, and I think it's a good day to get outside and enjoy it a little bit. So we're done. You can leave. <laughs> anyway, take your Bibles. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Today we're going to continue a series that we began last week called Repurposed. And if you remember, last week we talked about the fact that when a person comes to Jesus Christ, he, he transforms us and begins this transformational progress. He says you were washed. It means your sins have been washed away. The stain of sin is gone. By the way, that's a, one of the images of baptism, right? We've been washed. And so it's a beautiful picture that I don't have to have that stain of sin anymore. We've been sanctified. It means we have been set aside for a holy purpose. God has a purpose for our life and a plan. And then we have been justified, meaning my record has been expunged. In the court of heaven, my sins will never be held in front of me again. It's as if I never did them. It's been expunged. And uh, last week, something dawned on me while I was getting that message ready, and that is, is that we're not really being repurposed. We're stepping into the purpose God already had for us. It's what he's always had for us, and we're going to continue that concept today. Back in 1986, about this time of year, I was on the campus of Bloomington, or a campus of Indiana University in Bloomington, Indiana, 
And uh, by the way, beautiful time to be there. Uh, as the colors begin to change and transform southern Indiana, that is a really pretty place to be. And there were a lot of little communities right around us. And there was actually a, a, a pop star, a rock star. I think it was more of a pop star that was kind of adopted into the hometown of Bloomington. He was from Seymour, Indiana, which is not too far from Bloomington. And uh, he started off being known as Johnny Cougar. Then it was John Cougar. Then it became John Cougar Mellencamp because that was his real name. And then he finally kind of ended up just as John Mellencamp. I don't know if any of you remember him or not, but he was a pretty well-known singer in those days. He had a number of songs when I was in high school that were really popular. And the one I think of is a little story about Jack and Diane, right? And uh, two American kids growing up in the heartland. And uh, when you get to the chorus part of it, the chorus always kind of had a haunt to me and certainly as a pastor it really hit me it it goes like this oh yeah life goes on long after the thrill of living is gone oh yeah life goes on long after the thrill of living is gone and I always found that really interesting because even in the story of Jack and Diane it was like they barely got started in life and he's already singing about that the thrill is going to be gone real soon. I was um, working at a crusade, I think it was in Warsaw, Indiana. And I was in charge of trying to help churches get ready for the response for this crusade. So I would go from church to church and I would kind of teach them on how to work with somebody at the altar and how to, how to have a spiritual conversation, how to lead them to Christ. And so I was doing some of that work in churches. And on the night of the crusades, it was about a whole week of crusades, I was up in the response area where if you wanted to talk about what Christ was doing in your life, you could go up there and have somebody to pray with. And I had a young man that was there. He's in his 20s, and I met with him. And oftentimes when I, in fact, this is almost always the first thing I say to someone when I'm working with them either at the altar or wherever, and I just simply say, what's the Lord speaking to you about tonight? because I don't want to presume I know. And I've also found that it immediately helps them to understand that what's going on in their heart is not even a response to what the preacher said or to the music or anything like that, that it is the Holy Spirit that is speaking to them. And I want them to identify that that's the Lord speaking to them. And so I said, uh, so what's the Lord speaking to you about? And he just kind of had a dejected look in his face. And he said, um, you know, all I really want is if I could just make it through life. I'd be okay. And I remember I was in my 20s at the time and I thought, my word, man, you're in your 20s. Giving up on life so early. Frankly, I don't, I don't care how old you are, man, to really come to that point where it's just about eking an existence through life. Life is so much more than that. And in Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians is an incredible book. It talks so much about who we are in Christ and the purpose that God has, not only for us as believers, but us as the body of Christ. And it's so practical into our lives. And today what I want to do is take you to Ephesians chapter 1. If you have your note sheets or your app or your version app open, I, it'll give you the version I'm using. I want to take you out of the living Bible and take a look at a passage from a little different viewpoint than maybe what you're used to reading it from. And here's what it says, verse 4. 
Long ago, even before he made the world, God chose us to be his very own through what Christ would do for us. He decided then to make us holy in his eyes without a single fault, we who stand before him covered with his love. His unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his own family by sending Jesus Christ to die for us. And he did this because he wanted to. Now all praise to God for his wonderful kindness to us and his favor that he has poured out upon us because we belong to his dearly loved son. So overflowing is his kindness toward us that he took away all of our sins through the blood of his son by whom we are saved. And he has showered down upon us the richness of his grace for how well he understands us and knows what is best for us at all times. God has told us his secret reason for sending Christ, a plan he decided in his mercy long ago. And this was his purpose, that when the time is ripe, he will gather all of us together from wherever we are in heaven or on earth to be with him in Christ forever. Moreover, because of what Christ has done, we have become gifts to God that he delights in. As, for as part of God's sovereign plan, we were chosen from the beginning to be his and all things happened just as he decided long ago. God's purpose in this was that we should praise God and give glory to him for doing these mighty things for us who were the first to trust in Christ. Now, without any shame at all, these two weeks of the series are what I call cultivating messages, which is especially targeting those who are either brand new in the faith or don't know where they are in the Lord or maybe showed up because they simply want to feel better about how they're feeling today or are looking for some answers, I hope, that these messages help you. And today what I want to do is not only talk about what Christ has done when we come to him, but I want to answer some of the deep questions that everybody asks, all of humanity in one way or another, that are found only in God's word and are found only through Jesus Christ. And the first question that I want to answer that I think a lot of people ask is just simply, why am I alive? Now that is a question that has been asked over and over again through the centuries. Over the last century especially, we've seen all kinds of answers to that because people look all types of places to try to come up with that answer. I uh, last night was watching... Um, uh, a new app that I got, a streaming app, so I could watch Notre Dame games. And uh, they had other things that were available on there, and so I started popping through, and the movie iRobot came on with Will Smith. I happen to like that movie, and it's been out for quite some time now. And the reason I like that is that iRobot was actually modeled after a small book written, oh goodness, 50, 60 years ago by Isaac Asimov, and Isaac Asimov wrote a number of science fiction type books. Um, in fact, we had to read those in high school. We had to read uh, uh, Isaac Asimov. We read uh, Brave New World. We read George, George Orwell, um, 1984. It was that kind of a class. And what's interesting is that this robot is trying to basically figure out why he exists. 
And what's so fascinating is that Isaac Asimov was one time asked, what's our purpose? Why do we exist? And his answer was this, as far as I can see, there is no purpose. Dr. Hugh Moorhead wrote a book in the late 80s called The Meaning of Life, whereby he contacted 750 great thinkers around the world. These are people at the pinnacle of philosophy and uh, mysticism and understanding. 250 responded to him. His question was simply this, what is the meaning of life? None of them gave him an answer. The vast majority said, and if you discover what it is, we'd like to know. By the way, he concludes in the book, Meaning of Life, there is no meaning to life. I don't have to buy a book to hear that kind of bad news. Frederick Nietzsche, I don't know why anybody listened to this guy because he's considered one of the greatest philosophers of all time. Interesting what he says, life is an unprofitable episode that disturbs an otherwise blessed state of non-existence. Fred Allen, a comedian, said, life is a slow walk down a long hall that gets darker as you approach the end. Richard Taylor, late 1960s into the 70s, had most of his impact, 70s and 80s, considered to be one of those guys who's most influential. He said, I have no answers to the meaning of life and I no longer want to search for any. Man alive, what horrible, horrible news. In fact, it's interesting because you either have to be a mystic who looks within yourself through your emotion for some sense of meaning or a philosopher who comes up with some sense of meaning, which to my knowledge, no secular uh, 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 philosopher has found one yet, or a survivalist who just believes that our main purpose in life is just stay up, to stay alive. Well, I knew that when I watched John Travolta in Saturday Night Live. Staying alive, staying alive, right? That's probably a little before some of your time. Some say our job is just to perpetuate life and a hedonist says our job is just to have fun and a materialist says I just try to earn and get as much as I can so I'm the person who's the richest person in the graveyard. And we look everywhere for answers to why we exist except the one who gives us clarity and doesn't say it once, but over and over and over again. And that is God, through God's word, answers that question multiple times. And God's answer is, I was created to be loved by God and to love him. Now, I realize the great Westminster uh, Confession of Faith says that our main purpose in life is to bring glory to God, which certainly that's the purpose of all humanity. But do you realize you were created to be loved by God and to love him? And you don't really need a much bigger purpose than that. The fact is, is that he loves you. We know what love is, 1 John says in verse uh, chapter 4, when he says we know what love is because God loved us first in his son, Jesus Christ. Over and over in Scripture, God loves us and God wants us to love Him. God created us to delight in us and wants us to delight in Him. 
In fact, I love it. It says it right in this passage. He says in verse uh, 3, 4, he says, Long ago, even before he made the world, God chose us to be his very own through what Christ would do for us. He decided then and there to make us holy in his eyes without a single fault. We who stand before him, covered in his love. And if you couldn't figure out anything else that you could add into this world, simply your existence in God is good enough because you are created to be loved and to love him as well. In fact, Genesis chapter 1, when you were created, when we were created, it says we were made in the image of God. Think about that. That God created us. Now, he is spirit. In fact, scripture says God is spirit. So what does that mean we're created in the image of God? You're morally created in the image of God. Now we have the sin nature, but we were created as humanity, perfect and morally like God. We were created to commune with God. We were created, what do they call, politically in the image of God, which means that we were given dominion over the earth. God wants us to be good stewards of the earth. We were created in his image. And God says in verse 31 of chapter one of Genesis, that when God created, he said, he saw that it was good. He delighted in his creation. And God delights in you. In fact, Psalms tells us in the Psalm um, uh, 147, it says, the Lord delights in those who fear him, who put, put their hope in his unfailing love. God delights in his people. He delights in his children, just like parents know what it is to delight in their children. How many of you are parents? Real quickly, just raise your hand. How many of you did your children used to be really small? Okay. I say small because I'm talking about delighting. <laughs> we can talk about grieving later, right? <laughs> but God does both, right? But God delights. Okay, so you've had little children, and let me tell you, is there anything that makes you smile more than watching your children play nicely? Or sitting in your recliner or your couch and having your barely able to watch child or uh, walk child climb up on your lap and just sit there and they don't have to do anything in fact you prefer they don't simply being with them you cannot imagine anybody having a greater love than how you feel toward them. When God says he delights in his children, it's not because of what you do, it's not because of what you've said, it's, not, it's simply because he loves you and invites you to love him back. I used to call Brittany, who is my oldest child, my snuggle bunny. Because when Calvin was born, she was 14 months old. And so uh, Tammy would try to get some sleep as early as possible at night. 
and the crib would be in our bedroom and Brittany would still be awake. And so I would just simply, usually with my robe on, I would have her and I would hold on to her and we just spent a lot of time together just sitting. Why do you exist? To be loved and to love God back. Number two, the second question humanity asks is does my life really matter? I find that to be such a, a, a common, common question. In fact, oftentimes when um, a person goes through a loss, one of the questions is, now, now what? Does my life even matter anymore? And it's interesting that when we look at that whole concept, the psalmist says that we matter because of the significance we have in God. Our significance doesn't come from the things that we accomplish. In fact, it's interesting. I did a series uh, three years ago. I don't remember what the name of the series was, but it was out of the book of Ecclesiastes, I think. I think it was called Halftime or something like that. And it was, I, I primarily spent time uh, looking at the life of Solomon. And we talked about how there's this incredible search for significance in Solomon's eyes. And he tried all kinds of ways to find significance. He tried to find it in physical pleasure. He tried to find it in humanitarian services. He tried to find it by building all kinds of architecture and making an investment into the generations to come. He tried to find it. He tried to find it in wealth. He tried to find it all over the places. And it's interesting, if you're an individual who is searching for significance, understanding that God designed you not just to live in this life, but to live forever, that's where you find your significance. In fact, the psalmist said this. He said, you made all the del delicate inner parts of my body and you knit them together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. It is amazing to think about. Your workmanship is marvelous and how well I know it. You were there while I was being formed in utter seclusion. You saw me before I was born and scheduled every day of my life before I began to breathe. Every day was recorded in your book. You ever wonder why life is precious? Life is precious because God sees it as precious. Why do you protect the unborn child? Why do you stand up for the elderly who are unable to maybe contribute workforce-wise into the world? You might say, well, there's really nothing to be contributed there. And the fact is, is their value isn't determined by what they do or what they've accomplished. Your value is determined because of who you are and that God has designed every single one of us to live for all of eternity that's where significance comes and by the way every single one of us is going to live forever we either will live in God's presence or we will not but every soul lives forever. In fact, God has an answer to that deep question of does my life matter and it's just simply this, I was made to last forever. 
Look what he says. His unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his family by sending Jesus Christ to die for us. And he did this because he wanted to. Verse 9, God has told us the secret reason for sending Christ, a plan he decided, on, uh, uh, he decided in mercy long ago. And this was his purpose, that when the time is ripe, he will gather all of us from wherever we are in heaven or on earth to be with him forever in Christ. We are unique among all of creation. God has, in his wisdom, determined that we have a soul. And every person, by the way, starts off life on the wrong side of the fence. It may seem unfair, but this whole thing of the sin nature, it's not all the stuff we've done. Most of us have done plenty of bad things. But even if we've never done a bad thing, we still have a sin nature. It means that our very nature is bent away from God, and we need to be rescued from that. I was reading uh, somewhere in either Ephesians or Galatians or Romans. Romans is where it was at this week. And it says we're all deserving of God's wrath simply because of our nature of sin. That's why we have this desperate need for Jesus Christ. And God says, He so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. God makes that invitation to all of us. We were designed to live forever. Number three, what's my purpose in life? What's my purpose in life? And even believers sometimes struggle with that whole concept of purpose. I love what it, uh, Bernard or, or Bertrand Russell said. He was an atheist, lived in England about 50, 60 years ago. He said, unless you assume the existence of God, the question of life's meaning and purpose is irrelevant. Isn't it interesting how it takes an atheist to help us understand the purpose of life? I think we try to become smarter and smarter and smarter as, as uh, human beings. And in our smarts, in our intellect, we explain away God. And the, more the, the wiser we become and the more we explain away God, the lesser and lesser and lesser we feel. And the emptier we feel because we are explaining away our only real understanding of what it means to have purpose in life. I um, used to watch a show. I don't anymore because I frankly don't know how to find it. Um, I, we don't have cable, so I don't know where it's found. I probably could do a search and find it. But I used to watch a show called This Old House. Any of you know what I'm talking about? This Old House? Okay. Yeah, all right. And it's basically guys taking an old house and they're fixing it up and doing all kinds of stuff. And... I don't know if they always did this or not, but somewhere in the latter years that I would watch it, um, the guys who are kind of the hosts and the main characters of the show, they always get together, there's always a break, and they'll, one of them will pull out some kind of an obscure object. Usually it's a tool, or it's something that goes in the house, and it's obscure. And so they'll stand around and they will conjecture as to what is its purpose, what is it used for. And uh, normally a couple of guys give funny answers, you know, oh, it's this, you know, it's a hat, it's whatever. And then there'll be one of the guys will say, no, this is what it's used for. And he explains the purpose of why that thing was made. So in my office, I keep, uh, I have knickknack shelves. Now, if you've ever been in there, Yes, there are lots of eyes that stare at you <laughs> in my office. There are several, I hate to say it, dead animals hanging on the wall. And I probably should do something about that. But 
eh, it's who I am and people usually know what they're getting into. It is funny the first time people walk into my office, usually they'll walk in and go, wow, you know, that kind of a thing. It's just, it's me. I have a picture of my family and then over on my knickknack shelves, I have stuff. Uh, there's a beautiful duck that has been carved by Pastor Bob. If you've never seen his carvings, the guy is a renaissance man. It's just phenomenal. Um, I got my own little light that shines on it. I call it the duck of the month, but it's been there for a year or two now. But anyway, we kind of trade him around the office. He lets us display him. I love him. On the right top is my Notre Dame shelf. I have little Notre Dame, a couple footballs from Notre Dame, and I have some autographs and a little piece of the stadium and some things like that. Below it, um, I collect antique hunting stuff and so I've got old, old ammo and all that kind of stuff and then on the shelf on the left on the bottom there's sermon illustrations they're things that just mean something to me there's a baton there um, a rock there's a little towel that represents servanthood it just they're things that mean something to me and I, I keep this on that shelf and this was given to me um, years ago, 15, 16 years ago. And a guy was cleaning out his shed or his barn, and he found this, and he said, Pastor Phil, I thought of you. I thought you might like this. So he brings it in. Most people think it's a cross because it sits there. It looks like a cross, but it, it does this. It's got a little handle on it with a piece of rope. It's got some, it's got some little nails stick out of it so I assume obviously it's a back scratcher that's what I assume and he said do you know what it is I, I didn't have a clue and he said um, it's a carpet stretcher and I used to lay carpet I think that's why he thought I would like it and uh, I understand now how it works it makes kind of perfect sense I'm amazed it was ever used but it was and 1920s 1930s, this is how they would stretch carpet in your room. You nail that in, you turn the crank, stretch the carpet. It's ingenious. Most people, most people, unless you already knew it by virtue of me saying it or you've been in my office, you wouldn't know it. For something like this, you either have to be um, the guy who invented it or the per person who in their career this was very important or you'd have to read like an owner's manual to figure out what the purpose of this thing really is. And when it comes to understanding your purpose in life and our purpose in life, you're not going to find that unless you look to the one who has created us and the owner's manual he gives us, which is the word of God. And God's word says that my purpose, I find it by getting to know him. My purpose is to love him, to bring him glory. But I get to know what my purpose is by understanding and by getting to know him better. He says, moreover, because of what Christ has done, we have become gifts to God that he delights in. For as part of God's sovereign plan, we were chosen 
from the beginning to be his. Now you could, they've been arguing for 300 years how to, how to understand that. How can God know before we've ever decided? How can we have a free will? And if God already knows all this stuff, and that's probably a discussion for a different day. All I know is God's word says it. God's purpose in this is that we should praise God and give glory to him for doing these mighty things. Colossians 1 says, for everything, absolutely everything, below, visible, and invisible, everything got started in him and find its purpose in him. We were created by God for God. That's our purpose. And these last two weeks, I have tried to make this as simple as I know how to. Because some of you have come through the doors of the church only recently, and you keep coming because when you're here, you feel better. And you don't know why. And I'll have people walk through the door and they'll say, I don't even know why I'm here today, but I just know I'm supposed to be here. And I'll have people who come in and they observe how they feel. And can I tell you, that is not a song and that is not a message that some pastor came up with. And it's not even a prayer. That is the Spirit of God who is pursuing you and tapping you on the shoulder. And the source of that joy you're finding is found in Him. He loves you and is inviting you to love Him. He has designed you for eternity and He wants you to spend eternity with Him. He's got a purpose and a plan for your life and He wants you to find that purpose and plan in Him. And it begins by saying yes to Him, by inviting Him to be the Lord of your life, by leading you, and I am desperately trying to make it as easy to understand as I can. But He is the answer to your heart's deepest desire. And it's not too late for you. George Herbert said, it is never too late to be what you were intended or who you might have been. And today, God is inviting you to accept His love and reciprocate it back to Him. Let's pray. Father, I always feel so inept to somehow communicate what it is that my heart wants to share. But I realize it's not really persuasive words that ever really impact a person. Your word says that the demonstration of your spirit is where real power lies. And so, Holy Spirit, you're the one who invites and prompts convicts and changes a life and there are those that are here this morning or those who are watching online that you are wooing right now whether it be through a place of desperation 
or simply a place that says there's got to be more than what I'm doing. And it begins by just simply having an honest conversation with God that says, Lord, I admit, I admit that I have fallen so short of you and your glory. Scripture tells us to confess our sins. It means you're just admitting that you've sinned and you admit that you desperately need Him. And Lord, I believe that you can forgive me. That's what you have been saying these last weeks. And so Lord, I ask that you would forgive my sins and forgive my rebellion and that you would come in and rescue me. I ask that you would change me into the man of God, into the woman of God that you want me to become. By faith, and I don't know that much, but by faith today, I say yes to you. By faith, I'd like to be your child. Would you bring me into your family? And lead me to where you want me to be. Help me to know you better. Help me to love you more. But I say yes to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Colonial Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living.